lots of smiling faces. I like the ratio of adults to children right now. Well, good morning to you, and it's so good to worship here among the congregation, to be together in these days. Our appreciation, I trust, for the body of Christ, for the church, grows day by day. The church is a wonderful gift of God to his people. Place that we can come together in fellowship. We can hear the word, pray together, praise the Lord together in song. We appreciate God's gift of the church. Now today, we're in chapter 13 and verse 36, and we're going we're gonna to take a text here from verse 36 all the way through, let's see, we'll read through verse 14. We won't get that far. But um, I wanted to cover this. And if you were here last week, you're thinking, well, this is, we, didn't we just do this? We did. Uh, but it, we're going to take it a, uh, in a different manner. We're going to have a, a little different approach and, a, and something I think will help all of us. I know it has helped me in my uh, walk with the Lord to look at the three men In this text, we have Peter, we have Thomas, and we have Philip. So these three men are going to, they're going to show their bewilderment. I know the bulletin title is, Jesus Speaks to Mixed Up Men. I woke up at about 3.30 this morning thinking that wasn't going to work. But it's already in the bulletin. But I think it's fairer to say that uh, we could just call it Jesus Speaks to Bewildered Disciples. They're really not mixed up. They're with Jesus, but I think they are bewildered. They don't have all their questions answered. We see Peter first there in 36 and following And then, and we've said this, but you have to be careful in your personal Bible study to, especially here, the end of chapter 13, you just kind of stop there. You know, Jesus tells Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And then you just, you know, stop. Okay, we have the end of the chapter. And then we're going to read 14 and following Do not let your heart be troubled. Well, we need to put 14 with 13. It's the same context. Jesus is speaking 
to his bewildered disciples. So let's, let's read the text. Verse 36 of chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also and From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven. We thank you for the public reading of your word, the simplicity of that. We ask now that you help us to learn 
from what you've put in this portion of Scripture. Lord, that we would be edified, that we would be encouraged, that we would grow in sanctification, in Christ-likeness. So help us, Lord, uh, help me to speak your word. Help, uh, help me to convey your thoughts. And Lord, grow us up in Jesus. We pray in his name, amen and amen. So looking right there, we got uh, basically a three-point outline. Um, we're going to look at Peter first, then we'll look at Thomas, then Philip. Peter, Thomas, Philip. And I thought we would just ask questions. So um, the first point, I would just put it like this. Who's dying for who? Who's dying for who? Second point, I would put it like this. Which way is up? Which way is up? And then the third point is, uh, would be, uh, how much is enough? Uh, how much is enough? Three points, three people, and these disciples revealing their heart and their bewilderment. Isn't that encouraging? That one loved by Jesus could be bewildered at times. Anybody here have all the answers? Anyone here always hitting on all those cylinders every day of your life? No, we have, we have some high points in our lives and we have some valleys. And as we grow in the Lord, we learn to negotiate those things and we learn to, to be rock solid in our faith. And when we have doubts, we express those to the Lord and that's fine. The trials test our faith, and ultimately grow our faith. What's interesting here, as we talk about who's dying for who, first we see, we see Peter. I think the reason we like to look at Peter and maybe pick on Peter a little bit is because he reminds us so much of ourselves. We may not be as talkative as him, you may not be as outgoing as Peter, but certainly we have those thoughts at times. So what's interesting here? Number one, you know, Peter, the word, the name means pebble, small stone. He is not a large, massive slab of rock. Peter is not granite. He is a pebble. And we, we see this revealed in his life as we read through the Gospels. Here again, Jesus has just said, and this is really important because this is us. Listen to this and let us learn. Jesus in verse 34 says this, and keep in mind, he's preparing the disciples for his departure. Keep in mind, he's going to die the next day. This is all happening. Jesus says to Peter and the rest of the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's an interesting statement right there. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then what does Simon Peter say to him? Verse 36, we just read it. He said, Lord, where are you going? So Jesus drops this new commandment on the disciples. He's getting ready to depart. And Peter, without batting an eye, changes the subject. Jesus obviously wants to talk about love. He wants to, and it really applied to those disciples because Jesus didn't want them looking suspiciously at one another. They had just had one leave because he was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you need to love one another. And Peter says, where are you going? Jesus goes along with him and says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. It is interesting that this comes up time and time again in John's gospel. In fact, over in chapter 8, if you want to just turn there for a moment, Jesus is talking to the Jews. And by the Jews, he meant the religious leaders of the day who stood opposed to Christ. And Jesus said this, he said again to them, I, this is verse 21, chapter eight, I go away. So he's talking about his departure and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I am going. You cannot come. It's interesting. Jesus is going to leave and he controls where he's going. He obviously wants to bring people with him eventually where he is going. But he tells the Jews right there, they're not going to be where he is. It's important to be where Jesus is. It is important to be assured of your salvation, hence your eternal home. That you will have a place in the new heaven and the new earth. So, the, so Peter asks the Lord Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now. So what is Jesus referring to? Is he referring to his death? I think that's definitely included here. But I think beyond death and the grave, his ascension, his ultimate home in heaven, his seat at the right hand of the father. That's where he's going ultimately. So he just tells Peter, where I go, you cannot follow me now. This is not for you, Peter. It's not your time. This is my time. He says, but you will follow later. There will be your time. And then Peter said to him, Lord, why? Why can I not follow you right now? And then Peter utters these words, I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus, truth speaker, 
answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Well, I mean, what was Peter going to accomplish if he could accomplish this on his own, laying his life down for Jesus? This is not, uh, this is not material Jesus has not covered. Over in chapter 10, what did Jesus say? Jesus said in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus has taught the disciples that his departure was going to be soon and that he was going to be dying for men. He lays down his life for the sheep. In fact, Peter's language there in chapter 13 is, it mirrors that in chapter 10. And then Jesus says what? Will you lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for me? Listen, uh, it wouldn't accomplish one thing for Peter to lay down his life. Because salvation is not in Peter. Salvation is in Jesus. And it's not about, listen, receiving salvation in Jesus Christ is not about what you or I do. Whether it be the good things that we want to accomplish, hoping, wishful thinking that those good things would outnumber the bad things that uh, on the scales of, of justice that we would merit heaven. That's not the way it works. Salvation in Christ is about him dying for you, not you or I hurting or punishing ourselves for him. We need to hear that. There, I mean, there, there are whole religious organizations that operate uh, by that principle of just, you know, well, we're, you know, we're all going to get together. We're going to go live somewhere else like the monastic movement. Live somewhere else and starve yourself and you know, hurt yourself. And, uh, and through that, uh, self punishment, you can, uh, uh, claim self salvation. That's not the way it works. You know, it reminds me of the, you might've heard this of, of the monks. They, uh, they had a new monk in the monastery and the rule was you can only say two words a day and only at supper time. So every supper, Supper time came around and the new monk, it was his first supper. They go around. He was the last one to speak his two words. Says, it's your turn, new monk. Say your two words. He said, bed hard. They went ahead and ate their meal. Next night, supper time. Got around to the new monk. They said, uh, it's time for you to say your two words. He said, food cold. Well, the next night... Supper time, sitting at the table, go around the table. He got to the new monk. They said, okay, say your two words. He said, I quit. (laughs) They said, well, we're not surprised. You've been complaining ever since you got here. (laughs) I thought you needed that. I don't know. I'm not a good storyteller in that way. But you don't hurt yourself to gain heaven. Christ died so that you could get to heaven. Salvation is through Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. It is not about punishing ourselves. 
It is about looking to Christ who shed his blood for you. He is powerful in that moment to, we sang about it, wash your sins away. Past, present, future. The slate is clean and your name is in heaven. That's, uh, that's salvation through Christ. Here, before we leave Peter, what do we see? We see his complete and total inability to uh, keep his word. And this is who we are. We are unable. Apart from God working in us, we can do nothing. If you turn the page and go to chapter 15 and verse 5, the last part of that verse says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said, I can do all things, but not on my own. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. On our own, we are unable, but with Christ, with his word, with his spirit, with the fellowship of the saints, you and I are empowered to live for Jesus. We go on. Jesus says some of his most uh, cherished words here in 14.1, don't let your heart be troubled. It's, it's interesting that he just gave Peter the worst news he could probably ever receive. You're going to deny me. And he follows it up with, don't be troubled about it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So when we're, when we're living and we do sin on occasion, there are those sins of omission. There are sins of commission. We have an advocate with the Father that we confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is the heart of Jesus, the shepherd. Don't let your heart be troubled. Have you let yourself down? Have you let your Lord down? Don't let your heart be troubled. What do you do? You continue to believe. Continue to have faith. Continue to look to Jesus. Continue to be in the word. Continue to bring that word to your heart. Continue to live for him. Put one foot in front of the other and continue to move forward in Christ. Don't be weighed down by a troubled heart. But move forward in Christ. He says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. The figure here is of a family. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus is doing. Why? So that we can be where he is. There'll be a place for you, for all the believers, where he is. And where he is, is heaven. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. His first coming, there in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. His second coming. Look toward the eastern sky because your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus will come again. And he says, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there it is. You, there you may be also. 
How many of you want to be with Jesus in eternity? I mean, that's a no brainer. Of course, we want to be with Christ in eternity. I don't want to be with earth dwellers in eternity. I don't want to be with unbelievers in eternity. I want to be with the one who saved my soul in eternity. And he says, that's the plan. That's the goal is that where he is, we can be also. And he's coming back. He's going to receive us to himself. And he says, you, you all know where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, if we do, do not know where you're going, how do we know the way? Now, Thomas gets, we pick on Thomas a lot too, don't we? What do we call him? The doubter. Thomas the doubter. Well, you know, we can call him the doubter all we want, but he was willing at one time to go die with Jesus. He said, Jesus wanted to go back to Judea and everybody's going, no, what are we going back to Judea? They hate you there, Jesus. And Thomas said, let's just go. Let's all go back to Judea and let's, let's just die with Jesus. What did Thomas say? He said, Lord, we don't know the, where you're going. How do we know the way? You know, this is all, this is all old material. Jesus has gone over this. And Jesus said, he didn't say, you need to check your notes. You need to talk to the other disciples and figure it out. I'm tired of, of rehashing all of this. Jesus tells him straight up, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, which way is up Jesus. He's the way, not a way. Not one of many ways. He is the way. There's only one way to heaven. And that is through Christ. Notice he's not showing the way. He is the way. Back in uh, John chapter 1, this is a wonderful illustration of this. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Nathanael. Beginning in verse, well, let's just, verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And you're going, where's the miracle there? Well, Jesus saw him from a distance. Jesus knew him. Jesus knew all about him. The, he says, there's an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. That impressed Nathaniel. They obviously never met. Jesus answered and said, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There it is. Jesus is that link. He is that connection between heaven and earth. He is the way. If you're going to get from earth, from this life to heaven, it will be through Jesus, who is that ladder extending from earth to heaven. He is the way. And without the way, there is no going. There is no pursuing. And he does not lead you astray. He is the way. Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his shed blood. 
that washes our sins away. He is the way. He is the truth. Boy, I'm so happy Jesus is the truth. Have you, have you uh, contemplated this lately? Have you, ever, have you ever asked yourself, how in the world are we supposed to know what to believe in this old world? You ever wonder which headline to believe? Which, uh, we just don't know what to do. What do we believe? I'll tell you what you can bank on. You can bank on Jesus and the fact that he is the truth. And anyone that denies that Jesus is the truth is nothing more than a deceiver. There's someone who's believing a lie and someone that is not on the way through Jesus to heaven. And then not only is he the truth, speaking the truth, he is the life. And it's important, teenagers, it's important to understand here that life is, the life he is referring to is a spiritual life. I don't understand why people don't talk about this more. We are spiritual beings. I didn't deny that we're physical beings. We are physical beings, but we are spiritual beings. We are body, we are soul, we are spirit. Our salvation is spiritual. It affects our body. It affects the physical life, but we must care about our own soul. We must care about our spiritual health. And the only way to be spiritually healthy is through Christ. We want the truth. The truth is in the word. We want the life. The life is in Christ. And when we trust him, that life is imparted to us and we are born again. Born from above. And we have the life of God dwelling in us. And then Jesus says this, no one comes to the father, but through me. Would, would you all, would you agree with the word and with the pastor this morning that that last line is countercultural? Would, would you agree with that? I mean, I, I think that it's countercultural. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said that. Our leader, our Savior, our Lord said that. But that's not what the world believes. The world will tell you, hey, there's many, many ways to, to heaven. There's many ways to have peace. Just believe what you want. Be, in, be as sincere as you can possibly be. And one day we'll all wind up in some sort of glory land. Jesus, the word of Christ here, burns up all that speculation. No one, not me, not you, not anyone, comes to the Father but through Jesus. And this means that you and I, as those born again, those trusting in Christ, should be about the business of bringing the good news that Christ has come, he has lived, he has died so that we could be with the Father one day in glory. There's only one way. 
And then he goes on. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip says, so we're, we're to Philip, we're on point three. Let's, let's land. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father. And it is enough for us. Do you know how many times Jesus talked about the fact that, that he is revealing the father? The son reveals the father. In fact, one place he says, I think we read it a while ago, the father, he says, the father is in me and I'm in the father. It's right here in this, in this text. It's like, it's like the, it's like Jesus goes into space talk. I mean, it's like, Ooh, okay. You know, the father's in him and he's in the father and, and he's talking about, you know, we need to have faith in him right there in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. The Bible says in John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Christ, the word explained the father to us. And Philip, again, this is not new material. Read John chapter 6. Jesus is talking about coming from heaven. He's talking about his father. So Philip chimes in. And this is just really, this is really funny. What's the point? Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Well, how much? How much do you have? have to have for there to be enough. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus responds, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? And here it is. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, this is ground shaking because all the way back to the Old Testament, no one could look upon God and and live. But here, Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What's God like? Well, look at Jesus. Who is this God? Look at his son. And look at his, look at his grace. Look at the miracles that he did, the signs that he accomplished, the giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk, encouraging those who were downcast, giving the good news to those who were only accustomed to bad news of the day. That's our Lord. And John says that he did so much of that. There was so much of the ministry of Jesus. He couldn't even write it all down. Most people walk around like they got a grumpy God. Is there anything about Christ that would strike you as someone you wouldn't want to be around? He is the most winsome one to ever walk the earth. Our Christ. And he did it in a way that he was not pleasing men, but he did it in a way that drew men and women to leave everything behind and follow him. Philip, he says to Philip, have I been so long with you? Three years. And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. 
There, I, I see Philip in my mind's eye. There he is. It's a beautiful day. And there are people everywhere. And the disciples are all in a tizzy. Because everybody, we're going to faint if we don't get something to eat. They've been out here a long time and we're in trouble. What are we, what are we going to do? Remember who Jesus asked? He turned to Philip. And he said, Philip, where are we to buy bread that these can eat? You remember what Philip did? He does what he, Philip did what most of us would do. Hmm. Let's see. We're out of, we're, we're out, we don't have hope, Jesus. We, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. Well, I want to know, I want to know how much is enough. And I want to ask you today as we close, is Jesus enough or is he not enough? Because Philip said, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. And then Jesus says, have I been with you so long? You've not come to know me, Philip. What did Jesus do that day? He took the, the, the bread, the, the, just a, just a little bit of bread and some fish, the barley loaves and the fish, and he multiplied it. And everyone was, everyone was fed. Everyone ate. Everyone had as much as they wanted. And then the disciples got to pick up the leftovers. Is Jesus enough? I trust today he's enough for you. Because the truth is this. If you have Jesus... If you have the salvation through Christ, you have all you'll ever need from here to glory. Because he and he alone is the faithful shepherd. Now I'm asking as we close, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I'm also asking, are you following those that have professed Jesus. Those have, of you who would say, I am a follower of Christ, are you truly following? Is Jesus enough for you? Because that's the point here. He is enough. He says in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We'll talk about that more next week, but suffice it to say the key there is asking in his name and what that means. Peter, Thomas, Philip, and how the Lord leads them tenderly toward true faith and fellowship of Christ. I trust he'll do that with you. Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. And Lord, would your, would you just uh, cause this word to be on our hearts and on our minds? Would it resonate, allow it to resonate in us, help us to claim it and cling to it and live by it and all for your glory in Jesus name. Amen.
Please stand turn number 540. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Take my life. 